1: the little I got a little bit of teary-eyed going on there. Ooh. Ah. So good to be with you. Um, if this is your first time worshiping with us I say welcome again. We would love to share more about our church which happens to right now be only online. Uh, we are taking very very seriously all that is happening around our world currently and um, that involves us taking some responsibility and um, and being our brother and our sister's keepers. And, and that means social distancing ourselves. Uh, even in our little studio space here, we are aiming to to distance ourselves in this space and keep our our six feet as well as we can. Um, we, I announced through email um, last night, and you may have read it or you may not have yet. So if this is new news, um, I want to share it with you now. Uh, we have been evaluating all that's happening in in the world and um, and currently how the virus this coronavirus is spreading in the. US and we are listening to local officials and health experts and paying attention to what school systems are doing. Um, and we have decided as a church it, it is only responsible of us to go ahead and, and cancel in-person worship. Let me be clear when I say cancel in person in person. in-person worship, through the end of April. Um, This may come as a shock, and it it comes to say it with a little, just a, a bit of sadness, because I love you all, and I love the church we've created, and I love when we gather, and boy do we all love Easter. And yes, this includes Easter. So this year we will not be gathering in person for, for Palm Sunday or for Easter. Um, and, and for the rest of April, I'm following the lead of many other churches that are doing the same. And I, and I will say that we're not alone um, in the next few days and weeks. You're gonna hear that um, all across the globe, churches are preparing for not meeting in person for Easter. But what cannot be canceled? Let me be clear. <laughs> what is not canceled is Easter. What is not canceled is the resurrection. What is not canceled is the good news. And so we're gonna keep offering that and we're gonna do it as as well as we possibly can do it by deciding this early, a little bit before the curve, before other churches have made that call, um, which I know that we're all gonna make. um, By deciding a little earlier, it gives our staff the opportunity to really plan well worship for Holy Week and for Easter and to make this time as meaningful as possible, engaging as many people as possible and welcoming you into that um, with each other. And so we're gonna be thinking about how to do Palm Sunday, how to do Monday um, Thursday, how to do Good Friday, how to do Easter in the most courageous, creative, collaborative way we know because that's who we are as a church. And so would you pray for us in that and know that the church goes on. The church is not The church is not dead. The church is not closed. The church is not canceled. Jesus is here with us. Resurrection is happening. Whether we're ready for it or not, Jesus will resurrect.
0: Thank you, Pastor Michelle. So today, um, of course, Michelle has the largest uh, scripture reading ever, and this was after I was moved to tears by one of our welcoming songs. So please forgive me. Here we go. Hear now the word of the Lord. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, What? ask what I should give to you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, because he walked before you in faithfulness in righteousness and in uprightness of a, of a heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father, David, Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people so numerous that they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil for who can govern this great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you've asked for this and you've not asked for yourself, A long life or riches for the life of your enemies but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right I now do according to your word indeed I give you a wise and discerning mind no one like you has no one like you has been seen before and no one like you shall arise after you I also give you what you've not asked both riches and the honor of your life no other king shall compare with you if you walk in my ways keeping my statutes and my commandments As your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Then Solomon awoke, and it had been a dream. He came to Jerusalem, where he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and the offerings of the well-being, and provided a feast for all of his servants. In the 480th year, after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt, and the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, and the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. The house that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you walk in my statutes, obey my ordinances, and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will establish my promise with you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my many people of Israel. King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Maobite, Ammonite, Mennonite, Edomite, Sidian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the Israelites, "'You shall not enter into marriage with them, "'neither shall they be with you, "'for they will surely incline your heart "'to follow their gods.'" Solomon clung to these in love. Among his wives were 700 princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away from his heart after other gods, and his heart was not true to the Lord his God, and was the heart of his father David. For Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of the Sidians, and Malkin, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not completely follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a place for Shemas, the abomination of Moab, and for Melech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. He did the same for all of his foreign wives who offered incense and sacrifice to their gods. Then the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this matter that he should not follow other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your mind, and you have not kept to my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of your father, David, I will not do it in your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. I will not, however, tear away the entire kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so
1: it's it It's good to be with you again. We are in a sermon series, uh, if you have not joined us before, on the Lord's Prayer um, called As He Taught Us to Pray. This is our Lenten discipline together. Uh, like I said, Easter is not canceled. Lent is not canceled. Lent still continues to be the, the, the season we find ourselves in. I find it funny and um, not interesting that last year this time in Lent, we were kind of reeling and recovering from, from what was, what had just happened at, at General Conference in the United Methodist Church, and it was this season, Lent felt very Linton. Well, now we're in this coronavirus um, time and Lent feels Linton. it feels um, heavy, it feels hard. And so um, I'm glad you're with us in the midst of that So it's rumored that as David Cameron cleared his office in 2016 on his last day as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, that he left on his desk there three envelopes for his successor, Theresa May. As the story goes, she did not open them right away. But when all the negotiations of the European Union started and her anxiety began to rise and the anxiety of her people and her country began to rise, she decided to open the first envelope. And so she opened it up and in the first envelope was a card and it read, blame your predecessor. Then a, a, little, a little later on, when she lost her first vote on her Brexit deal and her anxiety began to rise again. And the anxiety of the people in, uh, in, in Great Britain began to rise again. The story goes that she returned to the envelopes and she opened envelope number two. And in the second envelope was a card that read, now do a cabinet reshuffle. And finally, Theresa May lost the third vote on the Brexit deal and her anxiety began to rise and division and anxiety and angst rose among the people again. And she opened the third envelope and the card read, prepare three envelopes. And I have no idea how, how many envelopes she left for her successor, Boris Johnson that last week. But what I do know is that we are in a time of unprecedented anxiety with this, this daunting spread of coronavirus and the up ticking death toll and this economic turndown and, 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 and this void of clarity among leadership and the, the general unknown ahead of us in every area of our lives. And my bosses keep telling me, keep writing in emails to me, make sure you lead with a non-anxious presence, with a non-anxious spirit. And and I'm trying to, and I know many of you are in context where you're trying to as well in the places that you work and still have to work as as health professionals or in in nonprofits that you're trying to figure out what's next in Um, during this time. I know you're leading that way, but I would be lying and we all would be lying if I didn't say in some way I'm anxious. We all are. And I believe that amidst all the various kinds of anxiety in our lives, they all basically boil down to two, two things. It's it's the basic two that in a variety of articulations, when I meet with you all, that you all tell me if I were to boil down all the anxieties we could have. The first is is something like this. It, is there a purpose and a plan for my life? A- am I on the right track? Or is this all just purposeless and meaningless? Like I'm in this pointless void in this meaningless universe. And then the second normally comes out like I feel feel vulnerable, I, I feel like life is fragile, I feel alone. And I'm afraid, even when life is going well, that it could all just go down the drain. At any moment in time, it could all just go down the drain. Coronavirus or no coronavirus, these two anxieties stalk us. Don't they? These two anxieties, they, they, they well up the fear inside of us. And we and we have this fear that if we, if we actually stopped all the frenzy activity and all the constant communication and all the perpetual distraction and actually thought about one of them or multiple of them all at once, the panic would be completely uncontrollable. And so we are busy and we are distracted. And so how do we deal with these two anxieties then this, this, how do we deal with this, this idea that is there purpose to life? And am I on the right track? And I feel alone and anxious and, 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 and vulnerable. And I'm afraid it's all going to fall apart. How do we deal with it? Well, we've been given this gift. In some ways, it's this very tiny gift. In other ways, it's this indescribably huge gift that's about 70 words long and which we can recite several times a day. In fact, as often as anxiety strikes, we can recall it. We can bring it to mind. And the gift is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer appears in both Matthew and Luke. And it's a little different in each one. Um, and what we say today, we actually tack on extra words to it. We tack on words about the kingdom and the power and the glory that actually are, were not a part of Jesus's original words. Those words come from the Old Testament. And so today, amidst all the anxiety, I'm gonna walk us through this prayer more in general not not focusing in on a specific line this week like we have other weeks but we'll do we'll do that we'll move that to next week but today let's just talk about this prayer and the gift of it for this particular time we're in right now i'm going to talk about the the version we're familiar with minus the end that was tacked on later what i want you to see is that This prayer we know so well and that we're going to pray later and we're going to sing later is actually just like six envelopes that Jesus has left on our desk. And any or all of which we can open when anxiety strikes. The first three envelopes address our first anxiety which is is there purpose or is there a plan for my life or is this all just purposeless that's the first three envelopes address that and so let's take each envelope in turn then here here's what's written in the first envelope we open it up when we're anxious and it says our father who art in heaven how would be thy name This envelope makes it clear what our purpose is. God wants to be in relationship with us. And there's something bigger and more significant than the universe, and that's called heaven. And and this this news is so precious that its discovery and its importance is what we call holy. It's why we gather here. It's the center of all things the orienting point of our whole life and of every life. I remember taking a test um, in school when I was about 11 years old and in italics across the top read, read all the instructions. And then there were 12 questions about all kinds of trivial things. And the last question said, put your pen down and don't answer any of the questions. Which of course made us all feel foolish because we had because none of us had fully followed the instructions and read the questions, only it was the last question that made all the other questions make sense. The Lord's Prayer begins with, with words that make sense of everything. God is beyond everything, yet seeks relationship with us. And we must hold on to this truth above everything else. It's simple, yet it's staggering. That's the first envelope. Inside the second envelope, we read the words, thy kingdom come. Only only three words, but so full of significance. Kingdom tells us that not only does God want to be in relationship with us, but that a full, healthy encounter with God, ourselves, with one another, with creation, is what God has in store for everyone and everything. Thy tells us that until God finally brings that full expression of healthy relationship in us and with us, we'll continue to live to a large extent under other forms of kingdoms, of others devising and our own devising. Some of these are going to be bad and some of these are going to be good kingdoms, but whether they are bad or good kingdoms, what we are to know is that they're not God's kingdom. We've all got our own checklist of how the world would be so much better if we were in charge or our party was in charge, or our candidate was in charge, or a fictional president Bartlett was in charge. Uh, It's it's hard to say thy kingdom come and, and renounce the desire to say my kingdom come. A lot of people have been convinced that all would be well right now, all would be well in the world right now if only they were in charge few if any have have been proved right. And then the word come tells us that the kingdom is something God only brings, not something we can achieve. It's great if our efforts align with and anticipate that kingdom, but but that kingdom isn't primarily about affirming us, about making us feel better. It's about about saturating the world with the glory of God. That's that's our second envelope. And then our third envelope says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this tells us that God has given us freedom and we can use that freedom to depart from God's ways or to seek God's ways. We have a choice. It's not that the universe is meaningless and our lives are purposelessness or purposeless. It's that there. are Are multiple possible directions of of travel and our own will is just a part of that mix, but that we're seeking to discern and to discover and to to direct our lives in the trajectory of the one who will ultimately prevail. This envelope also delivers us from any idea that all that matters in life is being ready for eternity. It, It longs for God's will for restored relationships to be experienced on earth now as much as it to be enjoyed in heaven. We best prepare for heaven, not by withdrawing from earth and and biding our time until we can fully be with God, but by recognizing what full, true, restored relationships with God and ourselves and one another and creation actually look like and and doing whatever we can to seek that relationship in our bit of earth right now. Together, these three envelopes Our Father who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These three address our first anxiety and they tell the first half of King Solomon's story. They tell us that God longs to be with us and will finally pervade both heaven and earth. They shape our hearts to follow the heart of God. As our scripture today opens, it, it seems like Solomon, the new king of Israel, David's son, has just opened the first three envelopes on his desk of this new kingship. And God, who longs to be with him, to lead through him in, until heaven and earth meet, appears to him in a dream. And Solomon knows who the center of the story is, he knows what the purpose of all this is. It, it is God. Solomon understands his role in the story to establish God's kingdom. And Solomon, in this great prayer for God's will and God's wisdom, prays not for wealth or or vengeance or power, but for a humble and discerning heart that God's will would be done through him. It's as if Solomon's opened Jesus' first three envelopes and just got the point and remarkably started to lead out of that clarity of purpose and, and humility of heart. The first set of envelopes address our first anxiety and, and the second set of envelopes address our second. That this, these address our second anxiety that, that I feel vulnerable and fragile and alone at a, a lot of the time and I'm worried that even at the best of life, e- even when, when I'm not the one, who needs the stimulus that everything could fall apart. And so we open the fourth envelope. Give us this day our daily bread. The first three envelopes are are all about God. The second three envelopes are all about us. Give us, this is the present tense. It's about now, today. Remember in the Old Testament, bread is always about manna. Manna was this gift from God to prove to the Israelites that even in the wilderness, amidst the unprecedented and unknown, amidst COVID-19, God would provide for them. But it was also a test to see how they would be content to collect just the daily amount and not try to get, get enough for the next day too. And in the New Testament, we know this as, as Eucharist, Right? It's always about believing that God has given us enough by giving us Jesus and, and striving for more, which turns out to be less in the end. This is the great question Is, is God enough for us right now? Sin, sin begins to creep in when, when for a moment, for, for a day, or a lifetime, God doesn't seem to be enough for us anymore. And so we go chasing our security someplace else. Give us is this fourth envelope, a request that God will be enough for us, God alone. And then we get to the fifth envelope. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If, if give us is about the present tense, forgive us is, is about the past. Are we more scared about the past which will come back to haunt us, or the, or the future, which is, is full of unknowns. There are two painful things about the past, the things done to us, which make us bitter, and, and the things we've done, which leave us guilty. And we want justice for the, for the first thing so we can be vindicated, but, but not justice for the second things, lest we be condemned. Forgive us as we forgive is telling us we can't have one without the other. Justice shaped by mercy for the first, yields mercy shaped by justice for the second. Together they're telling us we can't live in the present unless we and God take steps to heal our past. And then finally there's the sixth envelope. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is about our future. It's about our awareness of our own foolishness and the stupid things we can and often do. And it's also about the terrible things that can lurk and wait for us against which we feel completely powerless. Lead us not, but deliver us. This is a statement of confidence that the God who's provided for our present and healed our past can in the future be with us always. And the first three envelopes are about God, and the second three envelopes are about us. What will we do? What will Solomon do? As Solomon's reign continues, his anxiety grows, and the anxiety of the people around him grows. And they, they worry and they struggle to protect the Ark of the Covenant and to preserve God's presence and God's purpose in their midst. And so he starts building edifices of protection and Preservation. And between chapter 3 and chapter 11 in 1 Kings, we read every little detail of construction of God's temple in Jerusalem and Solomon's palace in proximity. No detail is left undone or unspoken. King Solomon is building a monument to the God of Israel, an answer to the first question of anxiety. Yes. There is our purpose, look here, this is our purpose. It's here, it's God. But as his anxiety continues to rise, it's as if Solomon returns to his kingly desks only to to pick up the last three envelopes, to read them with good intention, but eventually forget them entirely. Solomon forgets the call to daily bread and becomes prideful and greedy and gluttonous in his luxurious monuments to God he no longer turns to anymore. Other gods and idols of protection and preservation and pride take residence in his life, and he builds monuments to them as well. And it says God was so disappointed in Solomon. You've turned against me. You've forgotten the first three envelopes and you never learn to heed the last three. And after King Solomon, came king after king after king after king in Israel's history, who neglected the purpose and presence of God and perverted the temple until it was turned into this place that sold indulgences over welcoming the poor and clamoring for more than enough, more than enough, rather than glorifying the God who is enough. Six envelopes, and in them the entire story of God and call of God's people. Six envelopes for us to open when life feels a bit out of control, y'all, and our anxiety leads us to clamor for answers. And if you're saying today, if you're someone sitting there saying, ne- I, n- I never fear that life is, is pointless or meaningless. I never, I never have anxiety. I never worry that my life is only a heartbeat away from falling apart. I'm saying quite simply, I don't believe you. It's, it's not believable. But if you're if you're surrounded by fightings within and and fears without if you if you struggle to believe that God is enough yesterday and today and forever then hear the good news God has prepared for you six envelopes and left them on your desk as the only advice you will ever need to withstand the anxiety and the unknown ahead Open them. Not just, not just when you're in trouble. Not just when anxiety knocks at the door. But every day, several times a day, keep opening them. And this is what they, this is what they say. God is with you. God is coming to you. God will finally be all in all for you. God gives you enough for today. God heals the hurt and the damage of yesterday. And God will be with you forever, whatever comes. And that's good news. We join together in that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread.